Hello, and welcome to the Live to 110 podcast. My name is Wendy Myers, and I'm going to be your host today. You can find me on livetoonhundredandten.com. And I'm so excited. Today, we have the paleo god on the, the podcast today, Mark Sisson. And he's going to be talking to us about how to live a healthy, primal lifestyle, all about, you know, sleep, uh, exercise, and all the things that uh, encompass living a healthy paleo lifestyle and working with our ancient bodies in today's modern society. That's about right. Yes. (laughs) There's a lot to it. There's a lot to it than you think. A lot more to it. And um, if you guys want to go check out the new website, I've got a brand new livetoonhundredandten.com up on the internet. You can find uh, new episodes of the Modern Paleo Cooking Show. You can also find it on YouTube at Wendy Live to 110. And I'm so excited to announce that just a couple of weeks ago, I got a new editor for my book, The Modern Paleo Survival Guide. And he walks works at Waterside Publishing. And I'm very honored that he's going to be editing my book and hopefully handing it to an agent at Waterside and for a potential publication. So thrilled about that. And for any of you guys who haven't heard my book, uh, The Modern Paleo Survival Guide is all about diet, lifestyle, detox, and surviving and thriving to 110. Because I believe all those three components, diet, lifestyle, and detox are essential to live a healthy lifestyle and to, to live for a long, long time. Um, because many people eat a paleo diet and they find that it doesn't take them all the way to meet their health goals. And it's because because they're missing a couple of the extra factors, lifestyle and detoxification, which I think are very important and that you hear me constantly talking about on this podcast. So today, our guest, Mark Sisson, is an American fitness author and blogger. You can find his website at marksdailyapple.com, which I'm sure you already know about it. He's got 350,000 subscribers. And he also has another website called primalblueprint.com. And Mark is heavily involved in creating all kinds of events to teach folks about paleo. He's written uh, five books about the paleo diet and living a paleo lifestyle, including the seminal, uh, The Primal Blueprint, and his most recent book, The Primal Connection. And he provides so many ways for you to learn about paleo. He's heavily involved in um, creating events like Primal Con Convention. You can go travel for a weekend um, in Tulum and Oxnard, California. He has a weekend retreat in Malibu. And he also has a publishing company, having published many books on the Primal Way, including Denise Minger's Death by Food Pyramid. And I had her on the show talking about that. And he now hosts the Primal Blueprint podcast, and uh, he's uh, basically, I guess, doesn't sleep. <laughs> That's a lot of a lot of activities going on. So, Mark, I'm so honored to have you on the show. Thank you. It's very nice to be here. And uh, speaking of sleep, I do sleep. That's uh, one of the most uh, important criteria in the Primal Blueprint. So that is one thing I definitely make sure I get enough of. Oh, that's good. Well, I'm, I'm sure you have tons and tons of help to make all these things happen. So, so many great events. Uh, but so why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and what got you interested in the primal movement? Sure. Well, um, I was a endurance athlete in my teens and 20s and uh, trying to do everything I, I thought was required to be healthy, uh, running a lot of miles and eating a very complex carbohydrate based diet. Um, really interested in health from an early age. Uh, which led me down this path of trying to uh, become the endurance athlete because we we thought at the time the more aerobic exercise you did, the healthier you would be and the longer you would live, maybe to 110. Uh, <laughs> but uh, along the way, I got very fast at running, but I got injured and I decided uh, uh, many of the illnesses and, and ailments that I was experiencing on a regular basis were probably inappropriate to a lifestyle that was otherwise intended to be make make me healthy. I was getting uh, irritable bowel syndrome, which I'd had since I was 14. I had uh, lots of upper respiratory tract infections. I was, um, uh, you know, I had sinus infections that lingered. I had heartburn. I had a lot of these ailments. I I had arthritis in my uh, joints, which was pretty antithetical to being able to be a fast runner. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and so when I retired at an early age, at 28 or 29, from uh, elite competition, I sort of decided I really wanted to experiment with the lifestyle that would allow me to be 
healthy and lean and fit and strong with the least amount of pain, suffering and sacrifice. And uh, that really was a uh, sort of my overarching theme was how it, it has to be easier to be healthy than than what I had been led to believe by conventional wisdom. And that began a 30 year odyssey in, in exploring the research and the all of the um, the studies that looked at how we can learn to become good fat burners and burn off our stored body fat and how we can reduce inflammation and how we can uh, have full movement throughout our bodies and not be painful and stiff and, and arthritic. Uh, and it was quite eye opening because a lot of the a lot of the secrets that we identified uh, were gene based. They were genetic based and not based on who your parents were, but based on the concept that you are a human who has a recipe that wants to make you a strong, lean, fit, happy, healthy individual. And it, and it, but it requires the right kind of inputs to turn certain genes on and turn other genes off. Yeah. So talk a little bit about the importance of living within our genetic code. What are some of the, the, the tips that you can give listeners? Some of the like very basic ones to, you know, to help people understand why we have these ancient bodies and we have to adjust that. Um, and into our hectic modern lifestyles or will produce disease. Sure. I mean, the, the, probably one of the best examples is the idea that we grew up uh, for two and a half million years. We evolved in a in a realm of scarcity. And so the, the human body was able to survive long periods of time without eating because it was so good at storing fat. It was so good at accumulating uh, excess calories whenever excess calories were available and putting them on them on the body so that when the reality of, of going without food for two days or three days or four days happened. There was no shutdown in the systems. Everything worked perfectly because we were able to access those stored body fats, use that for fuel, and continue to go about our way until we came across the next supply of food. Well, those genes still exist in us today. Evolution hasn't really changed that. And so the, the irony is that we are confronted with a huge amount of food wherever we go, large portions, excess amounts, uh, the wrong kinds of food, uh, cheap, cheaply produced crap food that winds up uh, being available to us at all times. And our bodies just don't know any better. When our minds say, I'm hungry, I want to eat this, it tastes good, it tastes salty, crunchy, sweet, whatever, we have this tendency to to overeat at every meal and throughout a lifetime, which causes us to put on excess calories, excess pounds. So we're wired to be storing fat. But what we try to do within the primal blueprint is acknowledge that and say we're also wired to be able to access that stored body fat for fuel. And if we can tell the genes to downregulate all those systems that depend on us eating sugar and carbohydrate and cheaply processed stuff um, and instead move over toward natural foods with healthy fats, a little bit more, uh, a, a lower reliance on grains, we shift our whole uh, metabolism into being good fat burners, what we call in the primal blueprint fat-burning beasts. Yeah. And we become very good at accessing stored body fat. So over weeks and months and years, we trend toward our ideal body composition. We burn off that stored body fat. One of the other things that happens as a result of those food choices is we take in food that, that – decreases the genes or or turns turns off the genes that would cause systemic inflammation and we turn on what we would call the inflammatory genes so there are a lot of these choices that we make sleep exposure so turn genes on or off that are related to ancient wisdom of the uh, genetic experience and use it in a way in the context of a you know, hedonistic, comfortable, safe, modern lifestyle. It's kind of a, a way of hacking hack genes to get the best of both worlds, to be able to uh, live long and live well uh, long into our years. So uh, this is a question I think a lot of people have about the paleo diet is how does one fit, flip that fat switch yeah, by eating more fat, how does that work? Or by eating more fat, the people are actually able to lose weight. Right. Well, it's not so much eating more fat as it is eating fewer sugars and simple carbohydrates. So when you replace those sugar and carbohydrate calories, you have to replace. We're not suggesting that you go on a diet. So if you replace those calories, we're suggesting you replace them with healthy fats, 
the body has to learn how to burn off its fat. The, the irony of, again, modern times is that we have uh, all of these uh, meals in front of us all day long. There's breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks. The old mantra for the last couple of decades was, oh, you must eat uh, several small meals. With a protein so that you don't go into cannibal mode and start to cannibalize. Well, that was that was all based on the that we needed uh, hydrate to provide to run our bodies, to run our brains. And the reality is that we don't need that much glucose to to do all that stuff. If we can convert all of that metabol that the, the the basic resting metabolic rate to run mostly on stored fat and decrease our reliance on sugar and carbohydrate every couple of hours, we can go long periods of time without even having to eat, without getting hungry. That's one of the great things about the primal blueprint is it mitigates appetite. But this only happens because you, you, you have to sort of force the body into burning the fat. You have to withhold the sugars and carbohydrates so that the body's only choice is to go to burn the fat. Because if you all you do is, is just uh, reduce the amount of calories but still have a high amount of, of sugars and carbohydrates the body still relies on these still expects these to to maintain blood sugar every three or four hours and you, and you get into trouble if you uh, if you skip a meal because you you become so dependent on a fresh supply of carbohydrates so we shift around to less every uh, almost without exception around a significant amount of body fat that could be useful. Even myself at, you know, eight or nine percent body fat, I still have enough fat on my body to walk 400 miles. Yeah. So, you know, it's, fat is an amazing fuel if you know how to tap into it. It's also um, amazingly uh, annoying and life-threatening if you have too much of it. Yeah. And so what about this popular idea that if people eat three meals a day, that that tends to be healthier because it seems counterintuitive to me because, or even eating six meals a day, which I think is ridiculous, that people throughout time for millions of years, they did not eat three meals a day. They probably had one, maybe two, and even went a few days without food. So uh, how exactly do we need to copy that? to uh, tap into to health and, uh, you know, eat how our ancient body was meant to be fed. Right. Well, first of all, the idea that breakfast is the most important meal of the day is uh, I, I think I think it's farcical because I don't eat breakfast and I'm I'm as healthy as I've ever been in my life. Uh, I wake up in the morning. I'm good at burning fat. So I wake up, get out of bed and I'm burning fat and I have enough energy to get me through not only uh, my work routine at my desk, but maybe a hard workout at the gym at 10 o'clock or 10.30. So I'll work out fasted. I won't eat uh, immediately after the week, after the workout way. Again, much of the uh, training community and exercise fitness community has always suggested well, you must eat right after a workout. No, I probably have my first meal noon or one o'clock. Um, and then it's healthy fats. It's maybe a salad, a big salad with some form of protein in it. I might have a snack. In the afternoon, it might be a high-fat snack. It might be at macadamia nuts or something. And then dinner, a uh, piece of meat with some grilled vegetables, maybe some berries for dessert. So um, I'm able to do that. Well, first of all, the, the idea, again, of three square meals a day is sort of an industrial uh, revolution concept. They needed to feed the workers to be able to work the mills. And even before that, in, in the early uh, agricultural societies, to be able to work the fields, you needed the the calories to get up in the morning and go out in the fields and work until noon and then have, and then have more calories noon to think about making sure that the workers could produce enough uh, to, you know, to, to keep whatever business it was going. And we sort of carry that into modern society where people don't really work in the fields and they don't, many people don't do a lot of, of um, physical activity throughout the day. So they don't need all those calories. The other part about that was that, uh, because there was a dearth of healthy fats and proteins and there was access to all these cheap sources of calories, i.e. grains, that converted to glucose very rapidly, um, many people became dependent on getting – on having those calories from glucose every couple of hours to keep their blood sugar up, to keep their muscles going. Now, the hunter-gatherer didn't have that experience. The hunter-gatherer, as you said, went sometimes days without eating 
but didn't eat a lot of processed foods, didn't eat a lot of sugar, didn't eat a lot of, of uh, co- even complex carbohydrate, maybe 100 grams a day locked in some fibrous matrix, but not three or 500 grams of carbs a day like so many people in modern society do. So the hunter-gatherer was good at um, whatever whatever um, excess there was could store it, but it could also access it. And then as access that stored body fat and burn it off over the next couple of days without any uh, stopping of, of effectiveness, without any uh, lapse of concentration, with, without any real uh, negative aspects. So again, we're trying to tap into that same hunter-gatherer experience. We're trying to look at what do our genes expect? And our genes really don't expect us to eat three meals a day. Um, it's society that expects us to eat three meals a day. Our genes just say, look, if, if you make us really good, if you, if you give us the right signals to burn fat, we can burn fat all day long. We can go a day without eating. And so, so many people in the prime, primal blueprint community and the paleo community in general will purposely intermittently fast. They'll skip a day. They'll, they'll go a day without eating. And not only does it not affect him negatively, it probably impacts him very positively with some anti-aging benefits. Um, that's a time when the body goes into a repair mode and starts to actually, if, if you're good at burning fat, you'll, your cells will start to burn the damaged fats that are in the cell and use them as fuel. And so at the same time as they're getting rid of those toxic damaged fats, they're actually using them as fuel and, and repair the DNA. It's a, it, so there are all sorts of reasons that three square meals a day uh, is is it's old technology, and the really good technology, the new technology, is this ability to to burn and access fats and and be able to skip meal and not have it affect your uh, demeanor or your productivity. Yeah, I I, I totally agree with you because uh, I was always ingrained to eat the three meals a day, and I'm just doing it out of habit. And when I really started to listen to my body and really started ignoring what everyone else is doing, just listen to me, I only need two meals a day. And I, like you, I have my coffee in the morning and I, I just eat when I'm hungry. Usually it ends up being 10 or 11 o'clock. Um, but well, let's get back to fasting because I think that's a, a pretty controversial issue uh, that people don't know. Should they fast? Should they not fast? Um, and I, in my research, I found that about 24 hours is a good amount. Um, you know, according to Paul Giamone, he says that after about 24 hours, the benefits will tend to decline. What is your take on that in your research? Well, I agree with that. I think that um, after 24 hours, um, if there's a decline in the benefits, it's like a lot of things that happen with, you know, you can exercise. There's a little sweet spot for exercise. You exercise too much and, it, and there's a decline in benefits. So the same thing kind of happens with fasting. Um, I would almost argue that that you and I eat on a uh, – on a modified, uh, what we call a compressed eating window that almost builds in 18 hours of fast every day. Um, so if I don't, if I go from seven in the morning until one in the afternoon, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, seven at night, sorry, yeah. seven at night till one in the afternoon the next day, I've had a 18 hours of not eating. So that's sort of a mini uh, fast. And I think that that's, again, if you pay attention to your to the signals of your body, if you're not hungry, and that's a key, is to develop that skill to burn fat so that you don't get hungry. I wouldn't want anyone to just like, you know, use the use the Jedi mind power and 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 override the hunger uh, pangs that happen. It's a skill that you develop, and if you're able to go throughout the day and then say, "Oh, wait a minute, I'm hungry. Now's time to eat," not because it's 12 noon or not because it's 8:30 in the morning, but but when you're when you say, OK, I'm hungry, I could eat now. And then also having the skill to know when it's time to stop, because unlike the hunter gatherer experience, we know that there's a fresh supply of food anywhere, anytime we want right around the corner. So one of the one of the great skills with a primal blueprint is to be able to it's kind of halfway or two thirds of the way into whatever meal that is to be able to just sort of ask yourself, am I really hungry for the next bite? Not am I full? Because if you're full, it's almost too late. You've almost ate, you, we can probably determine that you've eaten too much. But but if I'm no longer hungry for the next bite, then there's no reason to continue eating, really. So you push the food away, or you package it up and save it for later, or whatever it is. And then uh, again, it, it typically the next time you're hungry might be six or seven hours later. And then you eat you, uh, on the same principle. You eat according to your hunger, not because somebody put a giant plate of food in front of you and you feel obligated to finish it. 
Yeah, I like the, what you said about how it's intermittent fasting is a practice. Um, because before I went paleo, I decided to do oh a three day juice fast because it's so healthy, and uh, which I don't believe in those anymore. But um, when you when I I tried to do a fast, um, you know my body was used to burning carbohydrates because I was probably eating a lot a, a lot at that time, and by noon I had a searing headache. Um, because my body didn't know how to burn fat. So I think as you do a paleo diet, you become you definitely become better adept at, at fasting. Well, we say it takes three weeks. I mean, in some people it takes a week, maybe two, but in almost everybody, um, by the third week, but, and I have a whole program called the 21 day total body transformation. And the idea is that by eating paleo for 21 days, your body will get the, the signals. It will upregulate all the enzyme systems that not only burn fat, but that it will build the metabolic machinery in your brain to use ketones. Ketones are a byproduct of good fat metabolism. Ketones are not a bad thing. They're actually the fourth fuel. So if you, when your brain becomes good at using ketones, it requires less glucose. Conversely, if you're a sugar burner and you be dependent on this fresh supply of, of uh, carbohydrate or glucose every couple of hours your whole life, then when you want to fast, you produce these ketones and that's what causes that ketone breath that people experience a lot of times if they go like to an ashram or to some, you know, three-day live-away program. Uh, but they get lightheaded. They get nauseous. There are all these, these negative things that happen because they haven't built the metabolic machinery to access the ketones. They're actually making the ketones um, 12 hours or 20 hours after not eating anything, no matter whether you're a sugar burner or a fat burner, you start producing ketones. But if you haven't upregulated all the systems that can use the ketones for energy and, and unburden yourself of needing glucose, then it feels like it feels terrible. So we actually talk about the transition period we'll experience what we call the low carb flu. Yeah. It, yeah. It's not, it's not the flu, but it feels like, you know, you're kind of, you know, just, uh, uh, moping around and low energy and maybe a little bit of uh, lightheadedness. That's because the brain is still expecting you to give it some, some glucose and lots of sugar. And you have been withholding it, forcing the brain to, and, and all the other, by the way, all the other cells in the body to upregulate. We call it mitochondrial biogenesis. So there these little uh, powerhouses that each cell has, those are where the fat burns. And if you are not adept at burning fat and you become dependent on a lot of sugar and a lot of carbohydrate your whole life, uh, a lot of that um, uh, energy production takes place outside the mitochondria. So the cells go, we don't need to build any mitochondria. We're not, we're not really using that much fat. Well, when you withhold that sugar and those sweets and those carbohydrates and the processed uh, grains and all that stuff, and you force your body to start to burn fat, that's what causes the genes to go, okay, uh, if this person is going to continue to eat more fat and less carbohydrate, we have to build the metabolic machinery to burn more fat. And it becomes this wonderful situ situation where you increase the number of mitochondria, the, the number of energy powerhouses that are able to burn fat and ketones, and you do it in a way that ultimately, un again, it unburdens the, the body of having to need so much carbohydrate. You become good at burning fat. You become good at burning ketones. Uh, and... What we notice is once you get past that low-carb flu, and some people don't even have that, by the way, your your thinking becomes clearer than it ever was before, and it becomes this like whole new level of energy and clarity. Yeah, I actually just spoke on Jimmy Moore's Living La Vida Low-Carb Cruise, and definitely got a crash course in ketones. <laughs> Jimmy Moore oh, yeah. spoke about his book, Ketone Clarity, that's uh, out now. And um, I talked to Dr. Eric Westman about, uh, that's the first time I'd heard about the low-carb flu because I had, like in my experience with the fasting, um, I didn't feel well. I felt really sick. And so I, that was many, many years ago. And I thought, well, maybe the really low-carb diet isn't for me. Um, maybe I'm just that person that needs extra carbs for whatever reason because we're all genetically different. Um, so, um, yeah, I think that's, that's interesting that I, I just – you know, I already knew this, but I find it interesting that I just hadn't developed that mechanism that you talked about to be accessing my ketones. Right. And so there's there's that period of discomfort for a couple of days that if you don't know what it is and you don't expect it would be awfully off putting and would yeah. maybe, you know, prompt some people to say uh, this. I need more carbs. This doesn't work for me. It's not going to work. I better bail while I can. When, in fact, it's, it's sort of a sign that it is working well and that once you get to the other side of it, 
but but you know this is really about about it's in all regards it's about training the body you know you go to the gym it's a while to get stronger and stronger and stronger you can't you can't just do a couple of days of weight training at the gym uh, and and hope that you're not going to be sore and that there's going to be any changes taking place. These are these are um, signals that we're sending the genes every time. When you lift weights, you're sending signals to the genes that are in the muscles to get stronger, to get longer, to get to get bigger. Um, and if you don't lift weights, the genes go, hey, there's no signal. We don't need to make any changes. We're going to conserve energy. We're going to store fat. We're going to do all these things that we're pre-programmed through two and a half million years of human evolution to do. So once again, my my job, my goal is to educate people on these sort of, sort of hidden genetic switches that we all have and the things that, that we can do to turn them on or off according to our, our desires. Yeah, so I have, note to self, lift weights fast. <laughs> That's what I need to be doing more often. <laughs> so so do you encourage people to push through the, the low-carb flu or is it kind of something where people should just gently work up to it by reducing carbohydrates or should they just do a crash course? You know, you know, like you said, everybody's different. And some people say, I just want to do the crash course. I'm, I'm all in. I read it. I get it. Um, I'm excited about it. Um, it. For the first time, something in diet and nutrition makes sense. So they'll just, you know, they'll, they'll push through. Other people might be better served. If you're a person who's been having uh, four or 500 grams of carbs a day because you have orange juice and uh, pancakes, whole wheat pancakes for breakfast, uh, a sandwich for lunch with some um, kettle uh, corn chips or some, uh, you know, uh, healthy blue maize chips or whatever, uh, so-called healthy, uh, that you might have a bowl of whole wheat pasta for dinner. You know, that adds up to several hundred grams of carbohydrates a day. So in that case, you might want to maybe take it down uh, over time, drop it down to, you know, from 400 to 200 and from 200 to 150 and from 150 down to 100. But in my book, I talk about this range of carbohydrate intake and a lot of people can benefit uh, by only uh, consuming, uh, or I shouldn't say only, by, by consuming still as many as 150 grams of carbohydrates a day. That's what Paul Jaminet would say that is the sort of an ideal situation. I say that's the high end. But if you have, allow yourself to not eat uh, bread, pasta, cereal, uh, any kinds of processed uh, grains, cookies, desserts, sugar, sugary drinks, sodas, these are all the things that we know we should be giving up. Truly. Yeah. Uh, and that you sort of limit the rest of your diet to meat, fish, fowl, eggs, nuts, seeds, vegetables, a little bit of fruit. You can eat pretty much all you want to what we call to satiety uh, of of those. And um, and even if you have a couple of servings of, say, berries a day and uh, a big salad, you're going to be hard pressed to exceed 150 grams of carbohydrate. Because there, there's not a lot of carbs. They're not very dense in fruits, in, in vegetables for the most part, in some fruits. Yeah, I, that's what I spend my carb bank account on is my blue corn chips. <laughs> I like them for the, the selenium. I rub up my thyroid a little bit. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the primal connection. Um, yes. And how is, what is that book about and how is it different than the primal blueprint? So the primal blueprint started um, initially to look at it focused really on diet and exercise. We talk a lot about sleep and sun exposure and, and other, you know, using your brain and playing. But the main focus of the book was on getting your diet dialed in and how to do that and uh, the appropriate styles of exercise that would create the strong, lean, fit body that we all want. Within the Primal Connection, we started to look at some of the more tangential areas of the hunter-gatherer wiring that we have, these expectations of our hunter-gatherer genes. So we looked uh, more deeply at play and how important play is as an aspect of not just stress reduction, but in, uh, in, in development of our brains, uh, in, in game theory that might even apply to investing in the stock market, for instance, that, that certain forms of play apply to the, the most um, sophisticated types of business in some areas. We look at... Um, the amount of uh, high, hygiene that's in society today and this the whole germ theory that that seems to now have created a generation of asthmatics, uh, you know, people who have asthma or, or allergies uh, that didn't exist 
in, in such great numbers 30, 40, 50 years ago because we've become so hygienic. We've removed all of the training from our immune systems. Our genes expect us to play in the dirt, to eat dirt, to be outside, to get exposed to all kinds of germs and bacteria, and to learn from that. Yeah. We, we find that kids that, you know, they grow up on farms and are exposed to, again, like grimy messes and mud and all forms of animal dander and hairs, uh, have fewer allergies, have, are, 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 are not asthmatic, and tend to be healthier and, and get sick less often as adults. These are all um, indicative of a lifestyle that's become so hygienic because we're afraid of germs when, in fact, we should be selectively uh, introducing germs into our systems. One of the, w- the ways that we do that, um, and I encourage people to do that, yeah, get out in nature and play like, like garden. Get, you know, get out in your backyard and work your hands in the soil and, and get dirty and let that be okay. Um, encourage kids to play outside, but also to take things like probiotics. You know, our, our ancestors ate dirt with every single bite of every single meal. And that's how we populated our guts with 100 trillion bacteria that live in our guts. You know, ironically, we have 100 trillion bacteria in our guts. There are 10 trillion cells that in, in us that are human. So 90% of the cells in you, Wendy, are not you. They are bacteria. And I'm sorry to say that, but it's me too. It's everybody out there. <laughs> So um, we have these um, these cells that live in us that, ex- that expect us to feed them a certain way. And in return, they take care of us, the good bacteria. We also have bad bacteria. And sometimes when the bad bacteria uh, predominate over the good bacteria, then we get really, really sick. Uh, and that's so that's the new sort of the new uh, direction in medicine is to look at the gut biome. Look at this 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 micro ecological biome that lives within the gut and figure out ways to feed it appropriately. That gets us into not just probiotics, but looking at some of the fibers that we take in and how resistant starch, which is the new thing in the paleo community, how resistant starch can feed the good gut bacteria so they proliferate and crowd out the bad bacteria. Um, again, all of, all of these are, are sort of talked about in the primal connection as kind of next level items for achieving the kind of health and uh, vitality that we all would like, for, and, and, and not just beyond, and beyond that, certainly just enjoying life. I mean, really, ultimately, this is just about enjoying life. Yeah, you know, that's yeah. that's my main goal is to is to wake up every day not depressed, not moody, but happy to charge at the the uh, the world or my list of things to do with a with a smile on my face. Yeah, I um, I like how you say that we uh, you know we don't really need to be worrying about germs so much. Get out and get dirty because I'm a bit of a dirty bird myself. <laughs> Because I don't wash my hands very often, you know. I don't. I don't worry about that. So yeah. when I started reading more about um, how we need to be exposed to bacteria to stimulate our immune system and have a healthy immune system, and it constantly needs that stimulation, um, you know, I kind of just kept on going with uh, not washing my hands as much. I know it's probably not the wisest thing for you know, probably contracting colds or whatnot. But I don't worry about it. I know that our bodies need that. I'm telling you, you're allowed. You're allowed to not wash your hands. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, My husband probably be, had the hair standing up on his neck right now, but I don't care. Well, <laughs> you know, a lot of people have pretty severe skin problems because they wash too much. Yeah. And our skin has this resident bacteria on it that protect us, that create certain, um, you know, uh, anti uh, microbial benefits and oils. That when you wash those off, you get, um, uh, you know, there. The redness, the eczema, the the dermatitis, some of those things are a direct reflection of of being too clean and washing too much. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I, um, you know, I definitely tell a lot of my clients that they don't need to um, use all these soaps and perfumes and all these things, because when you when you wash away all the bacteria on your hands, um, uh, you know, I forgot where I was going with that. (laughs) But I mean, a lot of people have like have. Skin molds and fungus. Yeah. Well, it's the bacteria that kill that kills that mold and fungus. So you're, you know, rather than put all these ointments in and Purell and try to, you know, to, to uh, scrub it clean, the best thing you might be able to do is, it, well, first of all, fix your diet because some of that's happening from the inside as well. But also just, uh, you know, let the bacteria do what it's supposed to do. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. There's there are now some topical, um, back uh, skin creams 
that use probiotics within the cream to to apply topically to address those sorts of issues. Yeah. So it's a new area of medicine. Yeah. 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 And so let's talk a little bit about exercise, Um, because this is, you know, something that, like you said, so many people think that exercising five or six days a week or breaking a sweat every single day that this confers health. And I have a lot of clients that exercise themselves into adrenal fatigue and mineral deficiency, and they're just going too nuts with it. So again, it's one of those things where too much uh, can have uh, declining benefits. Right. So what is your primal take on exercise? As you, you write a lot about exercise, and I think yeah. you're, you're the resource to go to to learn how to exercise healthy. Sure. Well, we have a free book on uh, Mark's Daily Apple, uh, the Primal Blueprint Fitness Guide. It's a 92-page ebook. You can download it uh, for free at my site. But basically, I created this uh, exercise pyramid a few years ago which has at its base just moving around a lot at a low level of activity. So that means walking, hiking, if you're into bike riding, easy bike riding, uh, dancing, you know, kind of these low-level activities, not so much to burn calories, but just to be moving your body through space. Because, again, our genes expect us to be moving. They don't expect us to be sitting still for eight hours a day uh, or and then going home and sitting on the sofa and watching TV. So the basis of it is just about – Easy, easy movement. But then uh, twice a week, I have people go into the gym or at home doing body weight exercises, but doing two intense, relatively high intensity um, muscle resistance workouts. I like to have people do full body routines. So I do push ups, pull ups, dips, squats, lunges, that sort of thing, sometimes with a weight vest on, sometimes unweighted, uh, and putting my body through all ranges of motion. And for me, because I'm 61, uh, I don't recover from a hard workout the way I did when I was in my 20s or 30s or 40s or 50s. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, um, I need at least three days. If I've done the right sorts of exercise, I need three days before I can even do it again. If I do it the next day or the next day or the next day and get into this pattern, I just become overtrained and injured. So, And, of course, the reason we train and the reason we work out, even if it's onerous for us, Theoretically, is to get better at what we do, to get stronger, to get to get you know all of these benefits, not to break ourselves down, not to be able to say, yeah, well, I worked out every single day for three months, but I feel like crap now and I'm sick and I'm injured. You know, that's that's sort of the opposite of the intended effect. The intended effect from my book, rule book is, what's the least amount of exercise I can do and be strong and lean and fit. So for me, it's two days a week of lifting heavy, and I found that for a lot of people, and I say lifting heavy, I, I mean, you know, we, we, we sort of joke one of the primal blueprint laws is lift heavy things, which includes yourself sometimes. And then once a week, I do a sprint workout. Now, sprinting doesn't necessarily always mean running. It could be on a bike. It could be in the pool. It could be on an elliptical machine. But it's, it's, it's warming up enough and then getting to that point where you go all out for, say, 30 seconds so that your heart rate gets as high as it can get. For 30 seconds and you drop it back down and you rest or you walk or you jog or you or you get off the treadmill or whatever it is for two minutes, minute and a half, two minutes, and then you do it again. And you do that a couple of times during that workout. And the effect of that is, again, to sort of emulate this hunter-gatherer experience where we evolved in a, um, in a set of circumstances where once in a while there was a life-threatening situation where you had to literally sprint all out to save your life, either away from something that was going to kill you or towards something that you wanted to kill uh, and eat. Uh, but either way, it was it was this. Um, so we have this ability hardwired into us to benefit from that sort of activity. Every time you um, were chased by a saber toothed tiger and you survived, it made you that much stronger to to, to get away in the next escape. And that manifests itself once again by sending signals to the genes, upregulate growth hormone, testosterone, build muscles, um, increase the, uh, the fast switch fibers. A lot of these are just, we're just manipulating signals, but I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna pay a saber toothed tiger to, ch- to chase me down the street. I have to, you know, think to myself, how can I, how can I replicate that experience and I can do it by doing sprints, and I happen to do it on um, um, on Zuma Beach, which at low tide, which is one of my favorite places to go do sprints. Or when I'm playing uh, ultimate frisbee on the weekend with with my uh, 
with my with my guys. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. let's talk about sleep. Um, I think sleep is one of the number one things that plagues people today. They're not getting enough sleep, and that eventually causes disease when they're you know uh, chronically um, have problems with sleeping. And so can you give someone some tips about how to really tap into their ancient body and the mistakes that people are making that are preventing them from getting enough sleep? Well, there, there are a number of uh, ways to go about getting sleep right. Um, one of them is just to decide that you're going to try for eight, eight and a half, maybe nine hours of sleep and to do it on a schedule. If you're not a shift worker or have other otherwise, um, uh, sort of an impossible schedule uh, to try and go to bed at a time that's not too late. Um, in, in, my, in my case, I usually go to bed around 1030, um, usually wake up around 630. That's my eight hour window. I sleep in a room that is completely blacked out. So I have actually rolled down storm shutters. I live I live on a hill where the uh, Santa Ana's when they blow, they blow mightily here. So the previous owners installed these uh, metal storm shutters that are that are electric, and we've we've used them now as blackout curtains for a long time. It's fantastic. We try to keep the room at uh, 68, 67, 68 degrees, um, quiet. I, I have a, a white noise machine. Uh, it's a HEPA, a HEPA filter machine that runs in a smooth sort of background noise that kind of um, takes all other possible uh, distractions out. I so have those in my closet. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, um, there have been times when the Santa Ana's have blown so strong, I have, I've slept in my closet yeah. because that's the quietest part of the house. But um, so, and then it's it's like avoiding um, uh, these sorts of movies or TV shows that are violent or loud, uh, you know, after nine o'clock at night so that your brain can sort of unwind. There are some hacks that we use uh, where we, um, install F-Lux on our computer that takes the blue light and, and dims it and shifts it to more of a yellow light because at some point our brains want to start to produce melatonin to put us into that sleepy. But they can't produce melatonin if we're being bombarded with light, which, you know, blue, blue screens from television or computers emulates blue sky from outside. So the brain still thinks it's daytime or from lights overhead, um, whatever it is. So in our house, we put yellow lights, yellow light bulbs in some of the fixtures, F-Lux on the, um, on the computers if we have to do work late at night. Um, one of the hacks people use is they get actually uh, amber glasses, and they'll watch. If they're going to watch TV, they'll watch TV through yellow uh, filtered glasses. Uh, and that sort of, again, sets the mood for when you do go to bed at whatever time it is, 10, 10, 30, 11, uh, that the melatonin can start to be produced uh, appropriately in the, in the enough of a quantity that it that it allows you to fall asleep easily and and through the night and then wake up rested in the morning. Now some people wake up middle of the night and uh, can't get back to sleep and they worry about that and and so a lot of people wake up and then they they're so worried that they're not getting enough sleep that the worrying keeps them awake. Well, they get mad. <laughs> <laughs> so. It's uh, but the reality is a lot of research has shown that we are biphasic sleepers or polyphasic sleep sleepers. So there's several phases of sleep throughout the night and you complete these sleep cycles. And if you wake up at the end of one full cycle and you feel like you need to get up and uh, go to the bathroom or go make some hot tea or read 10 pages in a book, it's it's fine to do that. It doesn't count against your quality sleep. In fact, it'll probably help you. A lot of cultures around the world. Uh, have been studied for their biphasic sleeping and in many cases because there's a family bed you know eight eight of them sleep in the same bed so there's some wrestling rustling in the middle of the night maybe some wrestling too um (laughs) and uh you know feed the baby uh get up walk around go outside whatever and then come back and, and do another uh sleep cycle throughout the night so there's a lot of research that shows that you don't need a solid uninterrupted eight hours but that whatever you do, you probably shouldn't be waking up to a jarring, jangling alarm clock halfway through a sleep cycle. So uh, I've gotten, I've developed a, a pretty good ability intuitively to know if I wake up too early or earlier than I want to get up, how much time I'm going to need if I go back to sleep and, and finish another sleep cycle. So I never use an alarm, um, and even when I travel, if I set an alarm, it's a, it's just 
it's amazing how I'll wake up like five, normally, naturally, five minutes before the alarm was supposed to go off anyway. Um, but yeah, sleep is just uh, so critical to good health and so overlooked and so taken for granted by by so many people because there's this um, sense of nighttime being an exciting time and there's so many things to do and there's parties and there's music and there's dancing and there's uh, binge watching of television to catch up on and all these other distractions that distract you from actually a, a, a good, healthy night's sleep. Yeah, it's not yeah, fun it's not to go fun. to bed. It's boring. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. It, it is until, until you get to be my age. And then, and, and again, if you, if you are able to understand all of the nuances of what goes on in life to make it a fulfilling, healthy life, uh, there's a, there's a part of me every night that goes, ah, yes, I can't wait to get to sleep. This is going to be great. Um, I recognize that this is a critical part of my longevity. So not only am I not sacrificing anything by going to sleep, it's going to be juicy and lovely and great and, and fantastic. Yeah, so yeah. that's just a mindset. I've been really I'm, naughty. I'm usually I'm good about my sleep, but I'm working, you know, trying to finish up the, the site. It's, it's going to be up by the time this podcast airs, but I've been bad working on my site, having fun, having yeah. fun, you know, <laughs> and working on my blogs, et cetera. So, Mark, I have a question that I like to ask all of my guests. What do you think is the most pressing health issue in the world today? Oh, diabetes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's uh, 30 plus million Americans either have been diagnosed with diabetes or don't know they have it. And it's just it's just increasing, increasing, increasing. And, and the irony is it's... Um, I've said it before. I'll say it again. It's kind of a stupid disease to have because you don't. No one has to get diabetes. There's type. This is type two diabetes. I'm yeah. talking about. Um, it's it's so uh, it's such a lifestyle disease. It's such a condition that is brought on by choices that could otherwise be made to completely avoid ever getting it. Uh, in many cases, uh, when when a person has type two diabetes, it can be completely cured with with similar lifestyle lifestyle interventions, some people may be slightly more deep predisposed. <laughs> some people might be slightly more predisposed to getting type two diabetes. All that means is that they, more than most people, have to be very careful about what they eat and how they move. But simple patterns like cutting the sugars and cutting the industrial seed oils that have uh, such an impact on insulin signaling, and being able to um, orchestrate your exercise and movement patterns so that you do um, create insulin sensitivity through through the exercise choices that you make uh, can completely al alleviate uh, type 2 diabetes and get people off their meds. Not all people, because some people have been down that road so far that they've done themselves permanent damage. Yeah. But I'd say, you know, 80, 90 percent of the people who have type 2 diabetes could be um, declared free of it within 90 days if they followed the primal blueprint. Yeah. Yeah. And it's yeah. sad that the, the country with number one highest rates of diabetes is China and yep. then India and then the U.S. is third. And the top two countries are eating rice. They're yep. eating a rice at every single meal. Yeah. So, and, you know, and it, it, again, it's, it's sort of funny that that uh, the naysayers for the paleo diet say, well, what about all the skinny people in, in India and China um, who eat rice? Well, uh, that was partly a result of they were taking in twelve hundred calories a day. Uh, for most of their lives, uh, doing uh, subsistence farming and and hard labor, uh, both those societies, India and China, have gotten to the point right now where they're emulating uh, a U.S. pattern, standard American diet, and they just happen to eat a lot of rice instead of a lot of French fries. But it's still far more calories than they should be taking in in the form of these uh, this simple carbohydrate that converts to glucose, and they're not you know they're spending more time on the computer and not in the fields. Uh, this is an artifact of, of modern civilization. So without the exercise, with the increase in calories, with the increased reliance on really terrible uh, industrial seed oil, so they're cooking with soybean oil and they're cooking with yeah. corn oil and canola and all of the other um, you know, Franken foods that have been created in the last 30 or 40 years, they're not just catching up to us in terms of disease. They're going to surpass us quite quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, Mark, thank you so much for coming on the show. That was so good, so informative. And okay. why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about you know some of the things that you have on the horizon, some of any events you have coming? Yeah, up? sure. Um, we uh, well, MarksDailyApple.com is the website. Primal Blueprint is my product site where you can buy the books, 
we have supplements there. We have the events are all listed there. We have an event coming up the end of September in Oxnard. Uh, it's the eighth Primal Con, um, our fifth annual uh, Oxnard Primal Con. It's so much fun. It's three days of living primally, um, hanging out with uh, other like-minded people who are in this whole paleo world. I have the, the greatest trainers and nutritionists and chefs from around the country, from around the world, actually. Uh, my play expert is a preeminent play expert in the world. He comes in from, from London. Uh, and so just a fabulous three-day weekend, so I encourage people to go do that. How many people and, attend those events? Pardon me, how many? How many people attend? Yeah, yeah it's, it's limited to 150, so it's mm-hmm. a good a good experience. Um, we just had one in upstate New York last week. We had 60 people attend that. It was just phenomenal. I mean, it's like I'm still... I'm still decompressing from the love, yeah. uh, you know, that was, uh, that was, it was, the weather was fabulous. The people were fabulous. My daughter joined us. It was great. So, um, these primal con, I, I, and again, you can find out all about that on uh, Mark's daily apple and primalblueprint.com. So do you have any new books coming out on done in the publishing line? Well, my wife, my wife, uh, has a book called primal woman coming out that she's been working on for a year and a half. It's coming out in about six months. Mm-hmm. Um, I expect that to be a New York times bestseller. It's a, it's a fantastic book. It'll talk a lot about what it means to be a woman and be doing this paleo lifestyle and looking at the different nuances of, you know, how much carbohydrate should I be taking in as a woman? Um, you know, how much exercise should I be doing? Um, some of the hormonal issues. Um, so it's a, it's, a, it's a whole new realm of information for the women readers of Mark's Daily Apple who've been sort of subjected to my male point of view for so long. <laughs> yeah, that sounds really interesting. I'll have to check that yeah. out. <laughs> yeah. Well, everyone, thank you so much uh, for listening. Uh, Mark was such a gracious host. Uh, we had a couple of technical difficulties in the beginning, but thank you so much for coming on, Mark. That was great. My pleasure. Take and I'll care. see you on the beach. Yeah, okay. Because <laughs> I live, I live in Malibu as well. So hopefully, I've been hoping to see you around at the farmers market or something. Do you go to the Malibu farmers market ever? I, my wife goes. It's her favorite thing to do after yoga on Sundays. So okay. yeah. Okay, I thought I'd probably see you there at some point or PC Greens or something. <laughs> I'm the one who shops at PC Greens. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, thanks for coming on, Mark. And everyone, if you want to learn more about the paleo diet, you can go on my website, livetoone10.com. You can get a preview of my book if you give me your email and sign up. I've got a, uh, a copy of five free modern paleo survival guides. I've created about 30 paleo survival guides so you can quickly reference all the information I have in my upcoming book, The Modern Paleo Survival Guide. So you can go download the five uh, free ones uh, right now if you go check it out. And um, thank you so much for listening to the Live to 110 podcast.